Well, good morning, everybody. We're so glad that you're here this morning, and uh, we're glad that you folks are joining us by uh, internet. Um, this is one of my favorite songs. I love singing this with Donna, and Johnny has just, you, Donna and I do it, but Johnny has come in to do this with us, and man, it is just one of my favorite songs. <laughs> and uh, I'm just so excited about being able to sing and play with this group this morning. And I want to I want to hear your voices though. Sing it this morning with us. It's a song called Holy Water. Will you stand with us and let's sing together? actually used to be called uh, Tota, uh, which is Navajo for three rivers, because there, there are three rivers that meet here in Farmington. 
You have Native American cultures, you have Hispanic cultures, you have white culture, and all of them are, are blending together. Growing up Navajo and Hispanic, I mean, the, the, these are my people. So it was always going to be, when I finished up my college and seminary education, to come back home and to do gospel work here. This is a forgotten area, it's a neglected area. The Navajos are forgotten people. Um, and so there are a lot of problems here, a lot of drug abuse, a, a lot of alcohol abuse, and, and you combine that with poor education, high literacy, broken homes, a lot of poverty, it really creates this perfect storm. So I got hired on at a high school here. Working in the schools has really given me a unique opportunity to share the gospel with a, with a variety of students as they, as they come into my office. They know that there's someone at the school who cares about them, who they trust, who they can go and talk to. And what that has done is with our youth group, it's predominantly these, these students coming from that context that want to know more and they're hungering for more. There has to be churches for these people. So when people give, it enables us to do ministry, to do ministry effectively. The Navajo people are just like any other people. They're a people who have a proud, rich history, but they're a people who need Jesus Christ. So we're here to spread the gospel, to give the good news to a forgotten people in a forgotten place. Well, welcome to First Baptist Church this morning. We are kicking off our six-week um, giving toward the offering for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American uh, Mission Board. And so one great thing about Southern Baptist is that we cooperatively give together with other Southern Baptists to help proclaim the gospel uh, not only around the world, but also here in North America, as our initiative is with, the, with this Easter offering. And so we're going to begin our service this morning uh, just by praying. Over the next four weeks, we're going to watch videos that uh, inform us and tell us more about this. And in your, in your uh, worship guide this morning, you see this little, uh, an additional bulletin that has a seven-day prayer guide. We're going to begin to pray this morning. Um, it's great to be a part of it. And so um, our goal is $17,000 over the next six weeks, and, and you can continue to give to that. And 70% and, uh, of what we give toward this goal will go to, to reach North American missions uh, all around North America. The other 30% will go to help reach uh, ministries right here within the state of Tennessee. But it, it's great to be able to be a part of reaching the, uh, as this guide says, the 366 million people in North America. And so um, I just want to take just a moment to pray um, for this day one here that you see in your worship guide. We'll begin by praying for day one, and, and um, after we pray, we'll continue to worship. First, just let me welcome you as a guest. If you're here, we're glad to have you here. And, and later on, if you can take just a moment in the service to fill out, there's a little white guest registration card there in the pew rack in front of you. And if you can fill that out, and, and uh, if you're a first-time guest, drop it off there at the welcome desk as you're, as you're exiting. They'll give you more instruction on that later. But let's begin just by praying for uh, Shahid and Marufa Kamal. They're here in, in Vancouver, Canada, and we want to pray for them and their ministry. And, and each day, this is a great guide for you to be able to pray as we kick off our giving for Annie Armstrong this season. Father, we thank you uh, for your grace, as we've just sang about. And we wouldn't be here this morning if it weren't for your grace. And Lord, it's, it's your grace and your goodness, your love for us that... Um, inspires in us the desire to be able to tell others about your goodness. And so thank you for letting us be a part of the gospel and, and the Great Commission and, and taking the, the Great Commission um, not only here in, in Manchester and across this state and across this country, but around the world. And so, Father, we pray, we just want to pray this morning for Shahid and for Marufa Kamal in Vancouver, Canada. And we pray, Lord, um, that they'll just, that we, that you help to strengthen their prayer ministry and their outreach there in Vancouver. Lord, they're reaching, uh, they've, they've, they're trying to reach a lot of people uh, for the gospel. And so we just pray, Lord, that you would empower them and strengthen them, give them perseverance. Um, these church planners go through a lot of difficult things. And so we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them. And as we continue to read these stories about different people from different states and different areas around North America, Father, that you would 
um, help us to to just feel a calling to be involved in them by praying for them and giving for them. Lord, maybe even sending us to be a part of um, some ministry around North America. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be a part of this and to pray for them. Lord, we pray now for our service as we continue to sing and as we hear the preaching of your word. God, we pray that you help just to change who we are, that you help us to love you more. God, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Stand with us and let's sing it together. Graves in the gardens. I've searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. But then you came along. And you put me back together And every desire is now satisfied I'm here in your love Oh, there's nothing better than you There's nothing better than you Oh, there's nothing Nothing is better than you. Yes, I know it's true. I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend. Cause the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. And there's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again. Come on now. Oh, there's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing, no. Nothing is better than you. Come on, church, sing it again. Here we go. Oh, there's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing, no, better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. You turn shame into glory You're the only one who can You turn mourning to dancing Yes You give beauty for ashes You turn shame into glory You're the only Nothing is better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing. Nothing is better. Than you, 
are you, Lord? Oh, what a great God we serve. Let's sing this together. Sing it out this morning. the breath, the very breath in our lungs we can 
We can attribute to you and you alone, Lord. If you've given us that breath, Lord, help us to use that breath to praise you. Lord, I pray this morning as we come before you, we've lifted up our hearts and our minds and our voices to worship you, Lord. And now it's we want to ask you to help us to turn on our ears and our hearts and be open to what you have to say to us today, Lord. That you may speak life into us in such a way that it makes a change in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Good to see you today. Good to be here. Good to worship with you. Do you ever feel like your life is boring? Do you ever feel like it's the same routine day after day? You ever feel like you get up at the same boring time and eat the same boring breakfast and put on the same boring clothes and kiss the same boring spouse and (laughs) go to the same boring job and eat the same boring lunch and break, look at the same boring things on your phone and go home and watch the same boring things on television and start it all over again? You ever feel like that? Some of us at sometimes wonder, is, is this what life is about? And so one of the ways that we try to deal with that is uh, we want to escape. Going to the beach in three weeks, it's only three weeks, I can't wait, you know. Going to the mountains and got my ears for Disney, I'm headed to Disney in four weeks, you know. Those, we, our idea is we have an escape. Nothing wrong with that, man, it's good to get away, Jesus and his disciples get away, but wouldn't it be great if you could infuse your ordinary routine with some meaning and some purpose in life? I'm sharing a four-week series of sermons. This is the final installment in the four weeks. That The theme is that you can find meaning and purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction in your ordinary life through a relationship with God in Jesus Christ. I've shared with you some basic phrases that share different facets of that of that relationship I've challenged you to live for the glory of God would you say I want my life to glorify God and so that's going to be the defining purpose of my life I've shared with you the phrase the will of God would you seek to do the will of God and make that the stack pole of your life shared with you the kingdom of God Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Today I want to share with you one more phrase, and that is the ministry of God. You have a ministry where you are, in the job you're in now, in the place you live now, in the family you're in. Someday you may be in a different place or a different job, but right now, God has a ministry for you where you are and that ministry can give you purpose in the midst of the routine of your life we're looking today at second corinthians i think the key word in paul's second letter to the corinthians is ministry the word ministry occurs 33 times in the new testament 12 out of the 33 are in this letter so a big part of when the new testament talks about a ministry Paul is explaining the Christian's ministry. Now, you may think that's a phrase just for preachers or missionaries, but every Christian, what I want you to see here today, every Christian has a ministry where you are. Now, we sometimes will use the word as Christian's mission. I have a mission in life. Uh, What's my mission? That's a good word, but did you know that's not a biblical word? The Bible never really talks about your mission. The word mission is only one time in the NIV translation. What the Bible does talk about over and over is you have a ministry. It is the word diakonia is the Greek word. We get our word deacon from it. So deacon is a particular kind of ministry. So diakonia, diakonos, these words are sometimes translated specifically by context of one particular ministry or service. But more often they're generally translated as Every Christian's service, about half the time the word is translated service, and about half the time it's translated ministry. And so every believer has a diakonia, a ministry or a service 
that you render to the kingdom and that can give purpose and meaning to your life no matter where you live and what you do. So we're going to look today at one of the great passages in all of the New Testament, one of my favorite passages in all of the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21, that talks about our ministry. Now, rather than go straight through it, I want to go to the heart of it first. We're going to dive in right to the middle of it and get the key concept and then work our way out. Sort of like, uh, have you ever eaten an Oreo by unscrewing it and eating the cream out of the middle first? Have you ever done that? Well, that's sort of what we're going to do with this passage. We're going to dive right in the middle, then work our way out, okay? So let's look at that. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19 is the cream of the passage right in the middle. Here we go, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, or he or she is a new creation. Do you know you can have a new life? You can have a new start. You can be a new person by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. If anyone is in Christ... Is a new creation. Old things are gone. The new has come. Verse 18, all this, that newness that he can give us, is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. There's several different words for salvation in the Bible. It's such a rich concept. The Bible talks about salvation as being redemption justification, conversion, regeneration, just because it's such a rich idea. Here the, it was another one, reconciliation. He's reconciled us to himself through Christ. So you see, your sin and my sin had separated us from God. You are separated from God apart from Christ. Because there's a barrier between you and the holy, perfect God and a holy, perfect heaven. You're not going to get there. You're not going to know him because you've sinned and rebelled against him. And he's totally holy. So there's a barrier there, but the God-man Jesus came, totally God, totally man, to bridge that gap, came so he could die for us to be the sin offering so that he could take our place, take our punishment, so that the sin barrier could be removed and we could be reconciled to God. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and here it is, here's our key, and gave us the ministry, the akonia, the ministry of reconciliation. You have a ministry. You've got a purpose. God loves this estranged, sin-soaked world so much that he is pulling it back to himself through the death of his son, Jesus. He wants everything to be reconciled to him. That comes at a price, the death of Jesus. And so now, when you're reconciled to him, if you're a new creation in Christ, you join him in the work. You've got the same role you are with him in the ministry of reconciliation. So your job, your role, is to bring people to the Father as you've been brought to the Father. Now, what, what is this message? How do we carry it out? Look at the next verse, verse 19. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. There it is again, the gospel. Isn't that a great phrase? He's reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us. Aren't you glad that your sins aren't going to count against you when you're in Christ? I am. That's the gospel. Now, here's what he says, latter part of the verse. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So this ministry is centered in a message. What is the ministry of reconciliation? Verse 18, it is that we're entrusted with the message of reconciliation. Verse 19, so our ministry has a verbal aspect at the heart. We've got to be talking to people and telling people about Jesus. We have the word or the message of reconciliation. So what I want to, are you, are you talking about Jesus any? Are you sharing what Jesus means to you in any way? Because the heart of our ministry is a message, it must be verbal. And sometimes we as Christians have got the idea, well, we're just living out. Our mission is just to live it out. Well, it is, certainly. A message without a life is, is empty, but a life without a message is not what God intended. We have the ministry of reconciliation that is the message of reconciliation. I heard the testimony of a couple one time who had become Christians, and they had moved to Atlanta, Georgia. They knew nothing about 
God, Jesus, the gospel, the Bible. They went to a Braves game, and some guy held up a sign, John 3.16. You remember how people used to do that in stadiums? Held up this sign. It just said, John 3.16. And the wife looked at the husband and said, what does that mean? And he said, I don't know what that means. They had no idea what that meant. They said they lived in Atlanta eight years And nobody ever invited them to church. Nobody ever talked to them about Jesus. They eventually moved to Florida, and somebody in Florida told them about Jesus, and they accepted Christ as their Savior and are in church. But I heard that story, and I thought, man, how could you live in Atlanta, Georgia, for eight years and nobody invite you to church? Atlanta, Georgia is at least 20% evangelical Christian. Uh, At least 20%. How could you live in the heart of the Bible Belt for eight years and nobody invite you to church? You have no clue what John 3.16 is. You ask what it means and you don't know. And then I got to thinking, I wonder if there's anybody lived in Manchester, Tennessee for eight years and nobody's invited them to church. Is there anybody in Manchester who's lived here for eight years and doesn't know Jesus and nobody's invited them to church or told them about him? We have the ministry of reconciliation, and that reconciliation is at its heart a message that we must share. Now, let's work our way. We've licked the cream out of the Oreo, and now we're going to work our way out, okay? Now, let's see what this implies for us. Number one, because we have a ministry of reconciliation, we no longer live for ourselves. Verse 15, he died for all. That's Jesus. He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So here's about our purpose. Jesus died for us in place of us instead of us. And now we're to live not for ourselves, but for the one who died for us. You see, here's the irony of it. You would think that you're going to find the best fulfillment, joy, purpose, happiness in life by living for yourself, right? You make it all about you. My needs, my desires, if it's all about, if I'm self-centered, that's how I ought to be happiest, right? The Bible says the irony is that is not true. You'll not find purpose living for yourself. You'll find purpose when you do what this verse says, when you say, Jesus is going to be center of my life, I'm going to live for him. And then everything else will fall into place. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but him who died for them. Are you living for yourself? Maybe that's why you're not as happy and fulfilled as you as you want to be, because you don't make a good center to your life. Jesus makes a good center to your life. Here's another implication of it. Verse 16, we view people differently now. Because he's reconciled us, because we have a ministry and a message of reconciliation, we, we look at people differently now. Verse 16, so from now on, We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. There was a time when Paul thought of Christ as an enemy, as just a man. Then his viewpoint changed and he came to see he's the only son of God. He had a different view of him. And he said, as my view of Christ changed, my view of other people changed. And that's true of every Christian. He said, so Christians don't judge people by race or by clothing, or the color of their hair, or solely on physical attractiveness. And so now you look at people and you don't just see them, whether they're physically attractive or not, whether they're your type of person or not, whether you don't judge them by any external factor. That's not the first thing you see about them. But now the first thing you think about is, does this person know Jesus? Do you look at people that way? When you meet them, is that that how you look at people? That's what he says in this verse here, that we're to have a different view of people now. We can't look at people like the rest of the world does. Oh, that's a good-looking guy. Well, maybe that's part, girls, of what you say, but that's not the only thing. Because now you view people differently. And you're looking at their soul and at their heart because every person was made in the image of God and every person is estranged from God by sin and every person needs Jesus. You have a different view, outlook of people that you meet and what you consider about them. Here's a third implication of our ministry. Because we have a ministry of reconciliation, we try to persuade people. 
We try to persuade people. Look at verse 11. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. This is so important that our ministry involves persuasion. Respectful persuasion, gentle persuasion, but persuasion. Do you ever try to persuade anybody? Let me talk to those of you who are younger Christians because what research, or younger, I mean in age, younger generations, if you're a millennial, if you are 37 and younger, I want to talk to you for just a moment because what research is saying is that your generation, in contrast to mine, mine's got a lot of problems, but your generation, in contrast to mine, is not willing to persuade people as Christians. Let me read you some Barna research, okay? Uh, Barna is a major research firm in America, and so they asked practicing Christians this question, or this statement, whether you agree with it or not. The best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to come to know Jesus. The best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to come to know Jesus. Across the board, all generations agreed 94 to 97%. Builders, boomers, Generation X, millennials. Those are what they identify as the four current generations, okay? Across the board, millennials are in step with all every other generation. The best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to come to know Jesus. Here's the second statement. It is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes they'll one day share that faith. It's wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes they'll one day share that faith. Builders, boomers, and Generation X, all 19 to 20% only agreed with that. Only 19 to 20% agreed it's wrong to share your personal beliefs with someone other religion and hope they'll share them. But 47% of millennials agreed with that. So there's a, that's a big change between the previous three generations, right? And here's the deal. What your generation... Uh, and again, your generation's not any worse than mine. Mine's got a whole lot of problems in a lot of other years. But here's one area where there's a change in generations. Those of you 37 and younger, you, you've been taught that um, it'd be judgmental or disrespectful to try to persuade somebody. Uh, that, that if I disagree with somebody, I'm judging them, I'm disrespectful. And I just, I don't want you to, to listen to my generation. I just want you, if you're 37 or younger, I want you to read these, these verses and just let God speak to you. It says, since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. If it's true, there's nothing wrong with being a persuader. If hell is real, then it's the, the best thing you can do to be a persuader. If heaven is real, then you need to be a persuader. You need to be persuasive. You need to speak with the end of persuading someone else. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. And Paul would say in verse 13, if we are, quote, out of our mind, as some say, so some people must have saying, Paul, you are cuckoo. You are out of your mind. You're crazy. And Paul says to that, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God, and if when we're right mind, it's for you. Paul said, I, I, I don't care. And then he says in verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. So there are two things that compel us to be Christian persuaders. The fear of the Lord, since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we persuade others, verse 11. And then verse 14, the love of Christ compels us. There are two things that ought to make you as a Christian a persuader, persuasive. And that is that we fear the Lord. Judgment and hell are real. But the love of Christ pulls us and compels us. God loves every person. We've been reconciled to him. We must love others. And the love of Christ will not let us keep silent. It compels us because one died for all. And you'll never meet a person for whom Christ has not died. And so would you, would you wrestle with those scriptures that we're to be persuaders? 
I remember reading the story of Martin Niemöller, who was a German Lutheran pastor in World War II, and he opposed Hitler's Nazi regime, and he was imprisoned in a concentration camp for it for 1938 to 1945. Uh, barely escaped execution in World War II. Released at the end of World War II, was considered a hero, of course, but the German Lutheran Church met after World War II to, to try to analyze what had gone on and to discern if they had contributed in any way to the rise of the Third Reich and of Nazism in Germany. And they concluded that they'd done all that they could. Niemöller himself had been one who had stood against Hitler and gone to prison for it. And that night after that meeting of the church, Niemöller's testimony is he went to bed and he was awakened by a vision. He didn't call it a dream, he called it a vision. He said, there was the brightness of the presence of God before me, and there was behind me a voice that spoke to me, and I recognized unmistakably as Adolf Hitler's. I had been face to face with him many times. And the voice said to me, Martin, Martin, why didn't you ever tell me why didn't you ever tell me about Jesus? And Niemöller said, I realized that I had spent all of my energy opposing Hitler. Face-to-face -face meetings with him, I had stood my ground against him. But I had never laid before him the claims of Jesus Christ. I had never shared the gospel with Adolf Hitler. And he went back the next day to that church meeting and told his vision and said, we do stand part to blame. We opposed him, but we never shared Jesus with him. I don't want to get to heaven and have anybody say to me, why didn't you tell me? Do you? I fear that may be true in my life, but I don't want that to be true in my life. Why didn't you ever tell me? We have the ministry of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation, and because we fear God, we try to persuade others. One more implication here, and that is we, because we have the ministry of reconciliation, we are Christ's ambassadors. Look at verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Wow. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is someone who is from one country but lives in another because he's been sent there by his government to represent them. The president appoints an ambassador to Japan or an ambassador to Saudi Arabia. And he has a loyalty to his homeland, but he must love and live among the people to whom he is sent, right? Our homeland is heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're going home one day. But right now, you're living somewhere here. And you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ, the one who reconciled you to the Father. And you represent him. And we have his authority to speak for him. When the ambassador of Japan speaks to the people of Japan, he's speaking with the authority of the United States behind him. You have the authority of God to speak. And you represent him. Him. And this amazing verse is as though God were making his appeal through us. Wow. God's speaking through you. That ought to give you a sense of purpose of why God has put you where you are. Jesus will not attend Coffee County High School. But he sent you there and you are his ambassador. And he's making his appeal through you. And so if you don't speak, there's not an appeal made. Jesus is not going to work at Bridgestone. But some of you do. And you're his ambassadors there. He'll never work at ADC. Jesus will never work at ADC. But some of you do. And why are you there? You are his ambassador as though he were making his appeal through you. Jesus is never going to rock your kids to sleep and change their diapers and listen to their prayers at bedtime. But you do. And he has put you in that place to be his ambassador as though he were making his appeal through you.
You want meaning in life? You realize that God has given you a ministry. He's given you a message. He's put you as an ambassador where you are. You may be somewhere else, may get a better job. That's great. Right now, you know why you're there? You're his ambassador. May live somewhere else. That's good. You know why you're here right now? You're his ambassador in your street, your neighborhood. Let me tell you one more story. We talked about North American missions uh, that we're beginning to pray for. I'll tell you about a North American missionary named Laverne Enzer. When he felt called as a young man to be a missionary, go into a particular kind of ministry as a missionary, his parents took him to the cemetery where his grandparents were buried and told him a story they'd never told him before. They said, now that you are pursuing this direction in your life, we want to we tell you a story. Took him to the cemetery. There were the two graves of his grandparents that he'd never met. And he said, and this has been a few years ago, so he said, his, your grandparents had a plantation in Arkansas And in 1846, they went to New Orleans and bought a slave to work the plantation. They were from a Jewish family. Enzer was a Jewish family. They said they they took this, your grandparents brought the slave home to Arkansas, told him what he was going to have to do, and told him he was going to call the head of the household master. He said, I'll do everything you said, but I have one master. His name is Jesus. His slave was a Christian. So he almost got beaten that day, but he didn't. He served that family, and six years later, in 1852, they told him as they were standing there in the cemetery, that slave on the authority of the Baptist church in our town baptized your grandfather and your grandmother. That's how we became Christians. That's how our, this Jewish family came to believe in Jesus Christ. And we've raised you as a Christian And now you're going as a missionary. And we want you to know your heritage. And I thought about that slave. You talk about somebody with a boring life. You talk about somebody who didn't want to be where they were. Who probably was torn away from family. I don't know. It's been very easy to be bitter and feel bad about their situation. There's a person who lived faithful to his true master, Jesus Christ and won his slave-holding family to Christ and baptized them. That's somebody with a ministry of reconciliation, a message of reconciliation, who persuaded others as an ambassador for Christ. Surely in your situation and mine, we could find that same sense of meaning and purpose. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? going to put one more verse up in a minute so keep the slides there for just a second I just want to invite you to pray about your ministry oh God help me to see my life differently I want you to pray if God's speaking to you about your need to speak that you have not spoken for him I want you to 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 examine the verse in your heart that says because we know what it is to fear God we persuade others Is God saying anything to you about your role as an ambassador, your view of people, what he would have you to say and to do? Would you respond to him? Say, oh God, I want to be your ambassador in my school, in my job. Oh God, there are people I need to speak to and persuade to to Christ. Oh God, hear our prayers, fill our lives with meaning and purpose centered not in ourselves, but in the ministry that you have given us as your ambassadors. I pray in the name of Jesus, amen. Let me say one more word to you. Look at the last part of verse 20. We implore you, last part of verse 20. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So maybe you're here today and you've not yet been reconciled to God. The next verse, look at verse 21 tells you the heart of the gospel God made him who knew no sin who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God what a great verse about the gospel God made him who had no sin that's Jesus Jesus 
had no sin. Only person who ever lived had no sin. But he became sin for us. That is, he took all the consequences and the effects of sin. He took the sin of the world, your sin, on himself because he loved you. So that another exchange could take place. A lot of people think the gospel is just the first part of that verse. Okay, Jesus took my sin, I got that. Here's the other part. Then he gave you his righteousness so that you might become the righteousness of God. The other part of the exchange is you stand now righteous before God. What an offer that is. That's how you're reconciled to God. That's the only way you'll be right with God. The only way you'll feel at home and right and pure and clean and satisfied. Would you, one more time when we pray, would you be reconciled to God? Oh God, there's a person here who has not received this wonderful offer of swapping places with Jesus, receiving his righteousness, letting him take their sin. Right now, would they say, Jesus, take my sin. Jesus, give me your righteousness so I can be right with God, go to heaven, be free from guilt. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want to invite you to stop by the Welcome Center and see me on your way out. Your next step ought to be baptized, be baptized, get in church. I'll be glad to help you. I'll be at the Welcome Center right after our closing. Thank you for sharing today. Will you stand? Let's sing together. In this time of desperation, when all we know is doubt and fear, there is only one foundation. We believe, we believe.
believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And he's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that he conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And he's coming back. He's coming back again. He's coming back again. We believe. We believe. Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. I want to thank you, Todd and Dr. Cox, for leading us in worship this morning. And if you smooth face, I know there was a baby face under there. It came out. Um, With that being said, uh, if you go to your worship guide real quick, there's a couple things I want to highlight. Number one is this: our intercessory prayer ministry. This is a ministry of our church where every hour of the week, someone from our church is praying for at least 15 minutes. And so we have 100 people who are signed up to pray, but we still have uh, 30 spots remaining in the prime hours. So here's the thing. During COVID right now, there's a lot of things we can't do. But one of the things we can do is we can pray. And so I'd say for, I need at least 30 people who will go by the Welcome Center today and sign up for one of these prime spots. And so they can help you do that at the Welcome Center. But please be sure to stop by there, sign up for that. There's also great information here in our worship guide. So please don't miss out on that on camps, mission trips, a whole bunch of other things. And then if you are a first-time guest, we'd invite you to take your guest card and go to the Welcome Center, meet Dr. Cox, introduce yourself, introduce your family. He'd love to get to know you. He's got a small gift for you, but it's a great way for you to make a connection and uh, and get connected to our church. So with that being said, let's take a moment and let's pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. And God, as we have heard today about being reconciled, Lord, Ultimately, the greatest reconciliation is that we get the opportunity to be made right with you. And not only to say neutral, but knowing that you also give us your righteousness. God, you are so good. May we hold out this gospel, this good news, to our friends, families, and coworkers this week as we step into our mission field. We ask all this in Jesus' good name. Amen. We believe in God the Father.